Good morning. Shalom. It's up there in big letters to my right. Shalom. It means peace. It means a lot of other things. It means completion and perfection. As we've been talking uh, a little bit about the faith of Christmas, and the pastor in the Rock Harbor Church has been talking about the word shalom, they both are greeting you this morning. But I do want you to remember that when Jesus arrived on the planet a couple thousand years ago, this was the greeting, shalom. If you were in Israel today, it would still be the greeting, shalom. It's a, it's a way of saying peace to you. It's a way of, of wishing, wishing you blessing. And so this morning it's very appropriate um, as followers of Jesus and uh, Judeo-Christians, people connected by our faith with Judaism, to use the word shalom. And in Adventism, some folks use the word Shabbat or Sabbath, peace, Shabbat shalom. So would you greet your neighbor? I know I already asked you to give him a Merry Christmas. Would you also give them a quick Shabbat shalom? This morning we're changing a a little bit of our perspective. We've been talking about how God has chosen underdogs. And each of those underdogs had to believe in a God who would choose someone like them. That over and over again in this story, the story of Christmas, we find the underdogs being chosen. Last week we talked about an old man and an old woman and some shepherds. An old prophetess, probably over a century old. An old man who declares that he's waiting for his death. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to die, but I, there's one more thing. I, the Lord promised that I would see the Messiah before I die. And those shepherds who were despised among men. We think of shepherds as cute little kids in bathrobes, but they weren't. They were, in fact, despised by their brothers. The people in their community didn't like them because of what they did. And I shared with you that there were lists of jobs that you wouldn't want your kid to do that you wouldn't want your kid to grow up to be a a physician, for example, or a butcher. They were kind of the same thing. And they wanted them to to, to not do those things. And everybody had a defender. Rabbi, this would defend that group. But the shepherds had no defenders. Had no defenders at all. This week, I want to flip it over and I want to think about, and I'd like for you to consider, the faith of God in us. If you think about it, it's a crazy idea. You know what we're going to do? We're going we're gonna to create these people down on that little blue speck out there in the middle of the galaxy, in the middle of the universe, in the middle of nowhere. And they're going to they're gonna go south on us. This one's going to go off the rails. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be a mess. Here's what we're going to do. Here's the plan. When the right time comes... We're going to send a member of the Godhead to become a baby and grow up on that planet where everything is horrific and people are killing each other and death reigns. And he's going to reach adulthood and he's going to preach to these people and he's going to share with them a true picture of who I really am, of who God really is. 
And they're going to get to see what God is like in the flesh, in their own, in their own flesh, in the, in the flesh of a man who is dealing with the planet that they deal with, who's dealing with the temptations that they deal with. They're going to get to see what God looks like walking around and talking and being with people. They're going to get a chance to understand who God really is as, as personal as possible given their condition. Veiled in a human body. And then... And then the, the end of the plan, in the end of the plan, there, there's going to be the sacrifice. At the end of the plan, one member of the Godhead is going to die so that they have a chance to make a choice to follow us. Now, I don't know how you feel about that plan. But if I'm, you know, the angel Gabriel standing there next to them talking about this, I'm like, no way. Crazy idea. There's got to be a better way to do this. You're God. Figure out another idea. You can do anything you want. Turn them all into robots. It's okay with me. There has to be another way. You, this is too risky. What if they don't choose? What if they don't choose to follow you? What if they forget? What if this whole story gets done and they do all this stuff and then they forget? I've been thinking about a, a little song. Um, you know, the, the, we have this song, Oh, Come Let Us Adore Him. I was thinking about the status of mankind today. It's, Oh, come let us ignore Him. Oh, come let us ignore Him. Isn't that what's going on? Because we don't want to be faced with the fact that there's a God out there. We want to make up a reason why He doesn't exist. We want to add something to the plan, something to the story. But God said, No, 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 no. So that they have a choice. I'm going to risk it all. I'm coming to make sure they have a choice. I want them to see what I'm really like. We can't let Satan's version of the story be the only story. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to live with them. I'm going to let them see what it's really like. Face the temptations they face. Die like they die. Let them all experience. Let them see for themselves what my heart is really like. And then they'll have a choice. Then they'll have a clear picture. Then they can decide. Before the foundations of the world, God sat down and said, I choose those people. I choose them. I choose them to be saved. Before the foundations of the world. Think about this. This is before they built the place. Before they started building the place. Before the first let there be light. This is before the foundations of the earth. Knowing what was coming, God chose you and me. He picked us because He cared. He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy. Who are not holy. And without blame, who are to blame? Before him in love. He chose us to stand before him holy and without blame. Why? Because he loves us. When he found us, we weren't much. But with him behind us, there's a whole big change. I was reading a story on the, uh, on the internet. Preachers, we do this. We do a lot of uh, sort of research. I read a story by a, a, a pastor I've never heard of. His name is Ed 
Silvoso. Now, if he ever hears this tape, sorry, Ed, never heard of you. But he told this very interesting story. He said he used to spend his summers with his grandfather. And he said, my grandpa was of that generation and of that age where you didn't really express love. You didn't go around saying, oh, grandson, I love you. You're awesome. I think you're wonderful. He said, my grandfather never did that. He never expressed his love, but, but I could tell. He said his face didn't do a lot to help either because his words came out of a deadpan face all the time. He said once in a while there would be a kind of a glint in his eye about something. And so, so one morning he got up and we walked out and there was a particular group among the herd of cattle that we penned up every night because they were notorious for getting in trouble. And he said they had broken out during the night. And they followed this one bull who was just, he was just a bad guy. He was into stuff all the time. He, and, and he had this group of cattle that would just follow him and do whatever he wanted. And so when he broke out, they all broke out with him. And so there they were again, out roaming around in the, in the land where they weren't supposed to be, eating things they weren't supposed to eat. And my grandfather came out. We saw him out there. We, he assessed the situation with me and he said, okay, saddle up and go get him. He said, I had done this with my grandfather before, but I had never been told or even believed that I might do this myself. He said, I was eight years old. I didn't want to face that particular bull and all of his cronies out there trying to get them gathered back in and get them into the pen. But when he looked at me and said, okay, go get him, there was a, there was a picture in his eye. There was a belief in the way he looked at me that I just... I just was overwhelmed by. When he said he thought I could do it, I believed I could. So I went and saddled up my horse and I went out there and he said it took me a while, but I got them all back in the pen. So I got him in the pen, locked it up, put my horse away, wiped it down, and Grandpa came out. And he said, still dread, dead pen, still no comment, let's go to town. But again, there was something in his eye that this was not an ordinary trip to town. So I loaded up with him, and we headed into town. It was just a little stretch of town, not much of anything. And we walked into the little tavern that served for a little place to eat and a little place to drink. And my grandfather sat me down at the bar with him. Now, I had done this before, he said. You know, we had gone in, we'd have a, we'd have a soda together there. But this time, we sat down at the bar, and my grandfather looked at the man who was taking care of the public that day, and he said, give me and my partner the usual. And he said, now, I wasn't just his eight-year-old grandson. I was his partner. Faith, the faith of someone we believe in, changes us. The faith of someone who believes in us changes us. It's empowering to be believed in. 
Isn't that true? It's empowering to be believed in. When someone believes that, that you can do something, it gives you greater opportunity to actually accomplish it. It is empowering to believe, be believed in. And I'm telling you that before the foundations of the earth were created, God chose you. He believed that you would be here. He believed that you would accept the sacrifice of Christ. He believed that you would repent of the ways that you had been going, that you would turn around, and that you would follow him home. He believed that the sacrifice of Christ on the cross would not be a waste, but in fact it would be an opportunity, it would build a bridge. When he inhabited that little tiny baby, he believed in the foster parents that he handed him over to. He believed in this young, young woman from out back Nazareth and her husband. He believed in those people. When he spoke to the shepherds and told them to go announce this, he believed they would do it. When Ananias or when Anna and Simeon were waiting around in the temple for something to happen, he believed they would notice among all the people that were coming into the temple that day that they would notice the Messiah when he showed up. He believed in everyone in that story and he believes in you and me. I don't know what, what he's called you to. I don't know what he said for you to saddle up and go do, but he believes you can do it. You may be facing decisions. You don't know what they are. You don't, you don't, you don't know if you can even do them, but he believes you can. He believes in you. God has faith in you. How's that for a turn of events? The God of the universe has faith in you and I. This crazy plan of his. The angel says to her. Now, imagine this assignment for Gabriel. Okay, Gabriel, it's time. Really? Yep, it's time. It's time. You go down and you talk to a woman. And uh, you'll find her. I'll tell you where she is. When you find this woman, when you go and you talk to her... Here's what you're going to tell her. You're going to tell her that the Holy Spirit's going to overwhelm her and that, that within her, within her very body, the Messiah will dwell. Gabriel had to look at him like he'd lost his mind. And then when he arrived on the scene, what would you be expecting to find if you were sent to the home of the woman who was going to bear the Messiah? Nice house, at least a nice couch, a good place for the baby to be born. A nice, mature, spiritually committed woman, maybe a, a wife of a priest or a Pharisee, right? Instead, he arrives in the bedroom of this young woman who's barely in her teens, who's got posters on the wall still. She's got a teddy bear she's holding. He had to look up at God and say, am I at the right address? Are, are you sure this is the girl? Just tell her, Gabriel. And Gabriel announces, You have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb. And his words had to just struggle out of his mouth. And bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over those over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. An angel has absolute faith in God. But if ever there was a question mark for an angel, I think Gabriel had one here. Are you sure this is the right person? She isn't even married yet. 
This is going to mess up her life, God. You know this is going to be an issue, right? Gabriel, trust me. Okay, God. You're God. By the way, it's a good way for you to end your prayer. When God is calling you to do something you don't want to do, He's calling you to change something in your life that you're afraid is going to ruin whatever. Going to ruin your habits, ruin your faith, ruin your, your, your finances. He's, going, he's calling you to do something that's scary to you. When you end that prayer, you, it's, very, it's a very good time to just say, Okay, God, you're God. It's just a confession of faith. It's just a belief. I, okay. Okay, you're God. Mary said to behold, the maid servant of the Lord. And now, we, we, I almost wish I could grab one of you from the audience, but I, I won't do it to you today. It was like, okay, Lord, I'll be the maidservant of the Lord. Let it, let it be to me according to your word. This is not the voice of a mature woman. This is the voice of a young woman, a very young woman. And the angel departed from her and flew back to heaven with a headache. It doesn't actually say that. I put that in. But you know what's amazing about this story? It's her faith. Because she had to know in a moment what this was going to cost her. She had to know in a moment that suddenly showing up in Nazareth with a baby and no husband was not going to be easy for her. That this was going to be tough sledding and it was not going to just be tough sledding for a day or six months or nine months. It was going to be tough sledding for the rest of her life. People would question her values. They would question her morals. They would question who she was and what she'd done. Yeah, 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 virgin birth. Yeah, we've heard that before. Right. Right. Doesn't look like Joseph. And yet she says, Okay, God, you're God. There's a rabbi. His last name is Shack or Sack. Rabbi Sack. He's the was until about three years ago, two years ago, the head rabbi for Great Britain. And he made this statement that the key to our spiritual life is our faith in his faith in us. That the key to the walk we are called to walk is our faith in his faith in us. Our faith in God's faith in us. Psalm 90 verse 10. Those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Our faith in his faith in us. There's Ed Silvoso getting ready to go get the cattle. How's your faith in Ed this morning? Most of us don't have the faith to put an eight-year-old on a horse and say, go get those cattle. That's not really him. 
Most of us do not have the faith in our children to extend things to them that we think they might have a difficult time doing. You know what happens when you give a 10-year-old a 12-year-old's job? They grow. I taught early teen camp meeting for a long time. And little 10-year-olds would sneak in and try to pretend they were 12-year-olds. I never had problems with the 10-year-olds. I had trouble with the 12-year-olds. I would say to all the 10 and 11-year-olds who were in there, I would say, I know who you are. I didn't actually, but they didn't know that. And I would say, I only have one rule for all of those of you who are too young to be in here, and we'll throw you out if you don't obey the rule. Act 12. The 10 and 11-year-olds never had a problem acting 12. The 12-year-olds had a trouble acting 12. The 10 and 11-year-olds knew what it was like. When you give a 15-year-old an 18-year-old's responsibility, you know what you get? A growing 15-year-old. When you keep treating your 15-year-old like a 12-year-old, you know what you get? 12-year-old's behavior. You know what the God of the universe did? He said, I know it sounds like a crazy idea, but I'm giving humans the responsibility of angels. He said, I know you guys would do a much better job preaching, but I'm giving it to them. I know you guys, you angels, would do a much, much better do- job telling the world about me. You proved it with the shepherds. Boom. It was, that, it was awesome. I know you guys could light up the sky every night and sing songs that would blast them away. They would never get it. It would blow completely out of the water, but I'm giving the job to them. I'm giving the job to them because you know what happens when you give, her the, give a sinner the responsibility to behave like a righteous man? You get a growing sinner. And you know which direction he's growing? He's growing in the direction of righteousness. God said, we're giving the responsibility to share with the world the story of the Messiah and his coming because that will stretch him and it will push him and it will make him be more like me. He believes in you. The God of the universe believes in you. By faith, Sarah... Herself also received strength to conceive the seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. By faith, Sarah conceived. Why? Because she judged him faithful who had promised. The question that you face in the, in, the, in the cosmic collision that goes on in your own life, where you're, you're up against something that God is calling you to do differently, and, and what you want to do, your own desires, your own interests, your own lack of, uh, of willingness to follow you, the conflict that you're really struggling with here is, will I or will I not put my faith in the one who has faith in me? When God says, I believe you can do it, The question then becomes, do I believe in the one who believes in me? She judged him faithful who had promised. Gideon was beating beating out wheat in the wine press. And he wasn't even going home, by the way, in the evenings. He was hiding out in a cave in order to save it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you. Valiant warrior, chicken Gideon, 
It's a special thing. You can get it at KFC now. <laughs> Twelve herbs and spices instead of eleven. One for each tribe. Gideon was hiding in a wine press, getting covered with chaff because he was too much of a chicken to do it out in the open. He was going to a cave, not his home, because he was afraid of the Midianites. And when God shows up, God says, The Lord is with you, valiant warrior. Gabriel had to ask God, Am I at the right address here? When Sarah was told, You're going to have a baby, do you remember what she did? the same angel standing next to God had to be saying, Lord, are we at the right address here? When he comes to your house and my house and he wants to hand us a big project, transformation we don't want to face, jobs we don't want to do, changes in our lives we don't want to make, when he tries to hand that off to us, the angels have to be saying, Lord, are we at the right address? Because none of us look like winners. We look like eight-year-olds climbing on a horse going after a bull who doesn't want to be sent home. But the God of the universe has faith in us. He believes in us. He believes in you. It's crazy, I know, but it's true. He believes in us. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast to the hope that we have. Why? And not because we're good at holding on. Not because our knees are not knocking together with the assignment God has asked us to do. Not because any of us in our own strength can do any of it. But because he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. When you're facing financial difficulty, he who promised is faithful. Some of you could stand up today and make testimony of what's happened to you in the last year, and you could demonstrate to everybody here that he has been faithful to you in financial difficulties. Some of you are having a combat relationship with your spouse or your family and some members, and you're dreading Christmas because... Uncle is going to show up, or auntie's going to show up, or grandma's going to show up, and you're saying, Man, Lord, you really don't want me to let those people come over to my house, do you really? And the angel's whispering, Are we at the right address? And some of you have seen God move in your family in such ways that He has healed the brokenness you thought would never be broken, never be healed. He has healed the moment that that people thought would never be overcome. He has erased from hearts and memories pain and suffering and sorrow created by other people in that same family. And you could stand up today and you could testify, He who promised is faithful. Some of you have been challenged in your values. Something this year has been banging you hard about your values. You've been doing something you don't feel you should be doing. You've been feeling doing something the Holy Spirit has been convicting you over and over and over again. And you've been saying, no, God, I, 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 I just can't. You know how long I've been doing X? Or you know what kind of disastrous circumstances if I change that? You know what that's going to mean to me? You understand what kind of pain that's going to bring to me? And some of you could stand up and say, God convicted me. 
I listened. I walked with him through a door I thought I could never walk through. He transformed who I am because he who promised is faithful. The Bible's just a litany of those stories. Gideon out there with his silly chaff being thrown up in the wind in a wine press. Goofy as it looks, God shows up and said, you're a valiant warrior. And he goes on to defeat those same Midianites. Sarah, who's in her tent, a 90-year-old woman, in shame, can't have a child, knows her husband's not going to have the progeny that God has promised. They're going and trying plan B. On their own, they're out there trying to make God's plan work. It's not working. It's going to cause problems later that only you and I can figure out today how dramatic and how drastic they are. And she's hiding in her tent when the Lord shows up at her house and he says, next year, this time, she's having a baby. And she laughed. But she got pregnant because he who promised is faithful. Not because 90-year-olds get pregnant. Amen. You see, the Christian life isn't built on our ability. The transformation of sanctification in your life is not built on your spiritual prowess. The call of God to serve and to do amazing things for Him wherever He's asking you to do it is not based on your ability. It's based on the faithfulness of the one who has promised our faith in his faith in us. Our faith in his faith in us. Our faith in his faith in us. Turn to your neighbor and say, please have faith in his faith in you. Go ahead. Have faith in his faith in you. Have faith in his faith in you. It's a crazy idea, Christmas. It's an absolutely ridiculous idea, Christmas. It's, it's, it's the birth of God in a baby. It's a crazy idea. But he believes in us. He believes in us. And the promise is in the faithfulness of the one who promises it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, It's hard to imagine such a preposterous idea. God becoming flesh. God becoming a tiny little baby. And Mary and Joseph as foster parents. Believing that the likes of us would buy it. Believing that you would not be wasting your life. Thank you for having that kind of faith in us.
Help us to have that kind of faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen.